The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zinn for a spin. Zinn nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Get in gear with the Zinn 10 Challenge and enjoy 10 smoke-free, spit-free days for just $5.95. Order online and start your new journey today. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's program possible. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. Amazing. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, your exercise, and medication decisions. All those decisions can lead to big results like more time in range and a lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. Thanks, Dexcom, for being our partner. Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's crime stories possible. It's Lisa Mattress, a collaboration between Lisa and West Elm. The natural hybrid is made from natural latex, natural wool, and environmentally safe foams. The natural hybrid elevates your sleep and supports. Go to lisa.com forward slash nancy to learn more. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com forward slash nancy. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. A 26-year-old Yale graduate student set to be married, gunned down. Why? What do we know now? I'm Nancy Grace. This is Crime Stories. Thank you for being with us here at Fox Nation and Sirius XM 111. Listen to this. Uh, I heard a gunshot, a woman scream several shots after that. A neighbor recalls the harrowing details of what occurred at the corner of Lawrence and Nicole Street at 8.30 Saturday night. Waited about a minute, came out and saw the body laying there. The deceased has been identified as 26-year-old Kevin Jiang of West Haven. Yale University confirms he was a graduate student in their School of Environment. He was a member of the class of 2022. Multiple witnesses confirm hearing between three to six shots. I'm still shaking up about it. It, it. All night, just we were all in disbelief. The entire Yale community and many groups and organizations Jung was a part of are carrying that disbelief as well. Think about it. This 26-year-old Yale grad student set to graduate. 
this month, but instead shot down multiple times in the street, unarmed, as if he was chased, as a matter of fact. What do we know about Kevin? I know that he earned a degree at University of Washington Environmental Studies. He was very close to completing his graduate degree. That's not easy. A devout Christian member of Trinity Baptist Church, played piano, helped with the homeless, worked on the soup line, and was very much in love with another grad student. In fact, their wedding was set. That was not meant to be when shots rang out. Um, I'm just trying to imagine in that small college town what that was like. You were just hearing from our friends at Fox 61. Now take a listen again to our friends at Fox. Police say they received multiple 911 calls reporting gunfire and a person shot in the area of Nash Street and Lawrence Street. The victim, 26-year-old Kevin Jiang, he was shot multiple times and died on scene, according to police. Died on the scene, according to police. Now, take a listen to Tony Aiello, CBS2. A sense of shock and sadness has settled on the Yale University community after the Saturday night shooting death of grad student Kevin Jiang. I don't have a memory of him where he wasn't smiling and happy, and even if you didn't agree with all of his views. He was more than happy to be your best friend. 8.30 Saturday night, residents in the East Rock neighborhood heard the distinct sound of gunfire. One man spoke to me off camera. I heard like around seven rapid gunshots. Like I turned the lights off because I was scared. Police say someone shot Jiang multiple times. He was found near his car, which had rear-end damage. One possible motive police are exploring, violent escalation after a road rage incident. We're exploring every possibility, including whether or not there was an accident that precipitated this incident, whether or not it was a road rage. We do have very specific leads that we're exploring, but we're not ruling anything out at this time. Joining me in all-star panel to make sense of what we are knowing right now in the case and the investigation... High-profile lawyer joining me out of Jacksonville, Dale Carson, former FBI, now lawyer and author of Arrest Proof Yourself, renowned psychologist, Dr. Jory Crosen, faculty, St. Leo University, consultant and author of Operation SOS, Dr. Michelle Dupree, forensic pathologist, medical examiner, detective, and author of Homicide Investigation Field Guide. Irv Brandt joining me, former U.S. Marshal Service, International Investigations Branch, author of Flying Solo, Top of the World on Amazon, and you can find him at IrvBrandt.com. But first, to Alexis Tereschuk, CrimeOnline.com investigative reporter, I want you to describe the scene for me the night that Kevin was shot down. I find it very significant. Kevin was unarmed. There was no robbery. There was no sex attack. And his car had been recently, very recently, rear-ended. Describe to me what happened. And this was right at the Yale University campus, correct? Yes, this is right by Yale in New Haven, Connecticut. This is February 6th. 2021. It is, there is snow on the ground. This is the, the height of winter. Fresh, tons of snow, feet of snow on the ground. There's snow on the streets. You can see it. Chang is in his car. He is driving. He is all of a sudden hit from behind. So you think, oh no, this is a road rage thing, right? The vehicle then, so he gets out of his car 
and that is when he is attacked. He some a, a man comes up to him and starts shooting at him. He's actually holding his backpack. And in fact, so he let me back up a little bit. He is hit. He stops his car. He turns on his hazard lights. Exactly what any of us would do when you're rear-ended, mm-hmm. right? You're not smashed into a tree. You're okay. You're able to get out. You're going to talk to the person. You're going to exchange your insurance and your license, and you're going to go home and hopefully get your car fixed. So he gets out of the car. He has his backpack, maybe to, to give his license and his registration, and that is when he is shot multiple times. There's a scream heard because this is in a, in a residential neighborhood. There are homes right on the street, uh, lots and lots of homes on all four sides of it. Fall to the ground, and then witnesses say the shooter stands over him with the gun and fires twice directly at his body. I want to go through what you just said there at the very end. Dale Carson joining me, former Fed with the FBI, now lawyer in Jacksonville. Dale, did you hear what she said at the very end, that the shooter then stood over the body and continued shooting? What do you make of that? Real extreme anger and perhaps jealousy. Anytime you shoot somebody in the face and you're making sure that they're dead, there's something going on in that relationship between the two individuals. So you're suggesting there is a relationship between the two. Let me go now to renowned psychologist joining us, Dr. Jory Crosen. Dr. Jory, the shooting in the face, directly in the face, is really not that common. Now that's that's very personal, okay? Just like Dale was saying, there's some sort of relationship there. And, and again, looking at the behavior, the car being struck like that and then getting out, and it, it appears that the shooting was almost immediately. It was like not even words exchanged. It was like his behavior was intent to get the driver out of the vehicle and to to shoot him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. To Dr. Michelle Dupree, uh, forensic pathologist, medical examiner, and author. Dr. Dupree, you have seen, uh, you've worked so many autopsies and homicide scenes. Typically, when we hear someone being shot in the head, it's from the back or the side, execution style. But in the face, as the person, the victim, is lying on the ground, is a whole nother thing. Explain. Exactly, Nancy. And, and as your other guests have said, this is very personal. This person wants to see what he's doing. He wants to make sure that this person is dead. Um, he wants punishment. Guys, this young grad student has a devastated family. Take a listen to our cut 20. 26-year-old Kevin Jiang was shot and killed in New Haven near the Yale campus 11 days ago. He was found lying near his car, shot multiple times, later dying at the scene. The environmental science student laid to rest by fellow members of the National Guard and remembered by loved ones, including his mother, who says she was in disbelief after learning her only son was murdered. Kevin was my beloved only child. Last Saturday evening, when the police told me he was shot, my first reaction was, this cannot be real. Alexis Tereshek, I did not realize Kevin was an only child. And he was so close to his mom. So when he, he lived on the West Coast, he lived in Seattle, he went to the University of Washington. She lived there with him. When he got into Yale, she moved across country with him. They were so close because he took care of her. 
And they were so close. The only child. She was so proud of him. Getting into Yale is a huge accomplishment. He was so impressive, so young. And they they were together until the very end. You know, the Yale president um, went on and on about what the university was going to do, how sorry they were. But the thought, Alexis Terezchuk, that parents pay sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year tuition, or the students themselves do, for this, for a high crime area and the shadows of the Yale University spires. Take a listen to our cut for our friend Tony Terzi Fox. Kevin Young's Facebook page biography was poignant. Life is a gift I am so thankful for. So the Yale community is grieving right now. This is a loss of an extraordinary young man. At approximately 8.30 p.m. on Saturday, officers responded after receiving numerous 911 calls of gunshots. Which occurred here in the area of Lawrence and Nichols Streets in New Haven. Kevin Young pronounced dead on scene. His identity was confirmed to be a resident of West Haven, 26 years old, and he was a graduate student attending the Yale School of Environment. Police won't say much about the case, including why Jiang, who had just proposed to his fiancée a week before he was killed, was in the East Rock neighborhood. We have developed information suggesting that this incident may not have been an actual random act and that he, in fact, was targeted. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. What our guests are saying has turned out to be true. Police now investigating whether this was random or actually an assassination. So back to you, Dale Carson, former Fed with the FBI, now lawyer. When you believe, based on the shooting itself, the way it went down, the way Kevin was rear-ended, forced off the road, when he gets out holding up his backpack to get his driver's license registration out, he's gunned down. The perp then walks up to him as he's on the ground and continues to shoot him in the face. It looks like an assassination. With a lot of road rage, you see people fire and keep driving. Not this. So when you think it's a targeted attack, where do you start? Well, the first place is that he put the backpack between himself and the shooter, which is a defensive act. And we also know that the individual who discharged the weapon had been in the area shooting because the expended cartridges had been found in various areas. That indicates to me he was doing surveillance in that area. And we also know that the victim's girlfriend, his fiance, was 500 feet from the crime scene. So clearly this individual was watching the house, saw the victim come out of the house, get in the car, and that's when he rear-ended him. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. So, Alexis Terezchuk, uh, you didn't mention to me that there have been other shootings in the area. I believe three other shootings in the area where nobody was shot, but the perp was firing into and around homes. This was a residential area where Kevin was murdered. And the ballistics show that 
those bullets from the other three shootings matched the bullets used to murder Kevin. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. There had been three different shootings in in November, December, and January in New Haven. But again, not people. So like a, and the thing was, there was a something that was seen in all of them. There was a dark SUV that was seen kind of outside the home where these shootings occurred. And then there was a dark SUV that was seen when he was killed. So they sort of started thinking, well, maybe these could be connected because there was nothing. There was nothing that would have led anybody to believe that any of these shootings were connected. They seemed so random because people weren't shot at and nobody was injured. But when they found, they found a a, a bag and it had lots of ammunition that matched all of these bullets. However, they did not initially find the weapon that was used to shoot Jane. Did not initially find the weapon used to shoot but they found a bag full of ammo that matched yep. the bullet that claimed the life Lots of, ammo. of Kevin. Lots yep. of ammo. Okay, that's yep. not Several good. Magazines. You know, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking this through what they know at the time of the arrest to special guest joining us, Irv Brandt, former U.S. Marshal Service International Investigations. Irv, when police determine that a shooting is not random, that it is targeted, that it is an assassination. I started off asking the question, what's the first thing police do as soon as they realize this is a targeted murder? What's the next step? It would be to identify any problems, uh, starting with the family, then moving out from there, uh, going to associates, people that they may have had fights with in the past, but you're going to start first with the family. And if he was engaged, that could be uh, domestic disputes or anything involving a fight uh, from that area. Then you would move outwards from there. Well, you're right, Irv Brandt. As usual, guys, you can find Irv at Irv Brandt, B-R-A-N-D-T dot com. You start with the family and a love interest. He has just gotten engaged and I believe posted it on Facebook. You start there with the mother, the father, the fiance, and then you begin to move out. Who do they know? Who did he work with? Who was he in school with? He had been in ROTC. Who was he in ROTC with? Um, it's the military branch in college. You go out, 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 and out, just as Irv Brandt has just said. Isn't it true, Alexis Tereschuk, that it had been just the previous week he had posted about his engagement? Yes, he had. He posted that he was engaged and that he had found the love of his life and, and he, he showed that they finally made the decision to get married. And I mean, he was very happy about this. It was on his um, Facebook page that could be seen by friends as well as friends of his fiance, because he tagged her in the picture, which you would do. You're so excited. Here's my fiance and the woman I'm going to marry. The very next step. We hear this from police. Take a listen to our cut 13 WF SB three. 
The crime has shocked the Yale community and the East Rock neighborhood where the shooting happened. This is 29-year-old Ching Xuan Pan, an MIT graduate who is wanted for questioning in the killing of a Yale grad student, Kevin Zhang. New Haven police say Saturday night. The 26-year-old student was shot multiple times near the corner of Lawrence and Nash following a car crash. Police say Pan, who still lives in the Boston area, has a warrant out for his arrest for allegedly stealing a car in Massachusetts. Why he came to Connecticut is still being investigated, but New Haven police say Pond was found by North Haven police after the homicide Saturday night. They are not saying why they were called, but did say police were not aware of Pond's possible connection to the shooting. We're piecing all of those things together. We're exploring, um, you know, every aspect of his travel to and from and, and, and since. Keeping it very, very close to the vest as to why they want to speak to this guy. But listen, in an incredible coincidence, what happened the night Kevin was gunned down? Our cut, 19, Fox 61. Sources have told Fox 61 over the past few days that North Haven police, when they encountered Pond within an hour after that murder last Saturday night because he was stuck on some train tracks at the Sims Metal business. The sources have told me that uh, North Haven police could have had him in custody. They said it was clear that the man was under the influence of alcohol and that North Haven police didn't run the plates on the car. Well, Chief Kevin Glenn told me today he's the North Haven chief. That's not true. There was no reason to run a breathalyzer, a field sobriety test, and we did check his license, we did run the plates on the car, and it wasn't until several hours later that the car came back stolen. To Irv Brandt joining us, former U.S. Marshal with International Investigations. Irv, (laughs) how many times have serious felons, perps, gotten hung up, caught because of a minor detail, a minor screw-up. Here you've got the guy they want for questioning one hour after the shooting, stuck on train tracks near the shooting. Yes, that's how most um, fugitives are apprehended, is a routine traffic stop uh, for unrelated uh, incident whether it's speeding, whether the car broke down or something like that, uh, for a reason for the officer to run their information and they come back as a wanted person. Uh, I I don't know what happened in this case. Or we see things, Irv, or let me go to Dale Carson. For instance, you're trying to find out the identity of your perp. Many times cops will look at video surveillance or traffic light cams to see who was parked there, who got a parking ticket. There's a million ways, if you think, to try to find the perp. Well, there are two points. One, and we should all be aware of this, this guy's a killer when he gets stopped. And police officers never know who they're going to encounter in a police stop. That's why it's so incredibly dangerous. And the Oklahoma bomber was stopped for a speeding ticket. Timothy McVeigh, he sure was. 
He was stopped, and I believe there was something wrong with his uh, back tat, uh, his back brake light, and uh, and he's the OK City bomber. Timothy McVeigh pulled over for a traffic violation. So, guys, here you see somebody stuck on train tracks. And I got to wonder, how the hey do you get stuck on train tracks? If anybody has an idea, jump in. This is the next thing we learn. Take a listen to our cut 14 ABC. This morning, an urgent manhunt for a person of interest in the fatal shooting of Yale graduate student Kevin Jung. U.S. Marshals now joining the search for this man, 29-year-old King Swan Pond, offering a $5,000 reward for information leading to his location and arrest. Police say Pond was last seen yesterday driving family members near Atlanta. According to family, Pond was carrying a black backpack and acting strange. Mr. Pond should be considered armed and dangerous. Extreme caution should be used if, if you come in contact with this individual. Jung was shot multiple times and found lying outside of his car Saturday night in New Haven, Connecticut. Investigators say Pon was in the area at the time of the shooting. Jung, a 26-year-old Army veteran, was recently engaged to be married. His fiancée graduated from MIT just last year. Pon is currently enrolled at MIT as a grad student. Authorities have not yet confirmed if Pon knows the victim or his fiancée. We are exploring every angle related to this investigation and related to every person involved, the victim, his fiancée, his extended family, um, and to include the suspect um, or the person of interest that we've identified here before you. Why do we keep hearing about the fiancée? The fiancée that was just posted deeply in love with the murder victim on Kevin's Facebook. Take a listen to our cut 25, our friends at ABC7 Chicago. Yang was a Yale graduate student and recently got engaged. We learned Yang's fiance and Pan knew each other. They both went to MIT. She told police they met while attending Christian groups on campus and talked at various events. They were just friends. She told police she did get a feeling that he was interested in her during that time. The two were friends on Facebook. A week before Yang was killed, the couple announced their engagement and posted pictures on social media. Pan last contacted Yang's fiance through Facebook last May when she graduated from MIT. Pan contacted her to congratulate her and asked her if she would be able to have a Zoom call, which never occurred. Alexis Terezchuk, the way it looks right now is so far-fetched, but we've seen it before. Alexis, is it possible that the alleged perp, Pan, age 29, seeks out Kevin Zhang and murders him over a woman he was interested in? Many, many months before, they had never had a date. She wouldn't even do a Zoom call with him. So now he's imbued with violence? It had been years. They had met years earlier. He was a graduate student at MIT. She was an undergrad student. He apparently, he would see her at dances. They were very involved with churches and their, with the, the Christian community at, at school and group events, 
So years he had been, it seems like, obsessing over her. She says, we talked, we saw each other at events, nothing was going on. But he followed her so closely, followed when she was moved to New Haven, kept trying to get her to talk with him, would, would message her on Facebook, they would email, he was using his MIT email, and still trying to get her to talk with him and to see him. And, you know, then the coronavirus happened, and so he tried to get her to do a Zoom just to have some sort of contact with her face-to-face, and she never let that happen because she wasn't interested in him. She wasn't dating him. They were just friends. They were involved in the community, but she had fallen in love with someone else and was dating him. There was nothing. There was no romantic relationship whatsoever on her part. Nothing Nothing at all. But the way the motive is seemingly developing is that based on this, let me say, completely unrequited love, he opens fire on her fiance, shooting him dead. She has given him no reason whatsoever to believe they had a chance. It's very reminiscent of another case, Alexis, that you and I covered together. A very, very attractive female graduate student at University of Illinois, Chicago. I don't know if you remember this, Najinsky Dix. She has all these beautiful photos of her uh, in her business attire. She actually stalks a guy all the way from Chicago to his D.C. home, lures him, waits outside the apartment, and shoots him dead. They had dated for a few weeks, and he broke it off. And she goes from Chicago to D.C. to stalk him in the parking lot and gun him down? You know, to I, I think we need to shrink. Dr. Jory Crosen, not that I think that it is justifiable, but more often we hear of husbands and wives with children and families or long relationships that go sideways. Somebody gets a wild hair, goes crazy, and shoots the other one. That is not insanity under the law, nor is it provocation. But over a three-week affair, a three-week dating period, or in this case, no dating period at all? Yeah, but... Stalker behavior is is a different disorder than what you you know are identifying in normal relationships. They get that infatuation and it becomes like an obsession. And you could fit his behavior into this, even to the point of you know stalking him to her house when he's leaving, setting it up. Uh, the the gunfire prior to the shooting, where you know there were like three or four incidences where it seemed like he was just test firing the weapon. Uh, getting prepared to shoot this rivalry of his. What we're missing here is the social media trigger of this, because the shooter in this particular case has probably told many people that he's going to marry this gal. So when social media hits and it's broadcast everywhere, he turns out to be a liar to everybody he knows. And I have seen this in a number of cases here in Jacksonville, Florida, where people post stuff on the internet, it offends people, and those people go to the home of the publisher and shoot them. 
So social media has a tremendous impact. Oh, my stars. You just brought to mind another case, Dale Carson. We just covered the case of a gorgeous little teen girl influencer. What was her name, Jackie? Just precious. And some guy falls in love with her, tries to buy photos of her from her friends, actually travels to her home in Florida, shoots open the door, going in for her and her father. Her father had gone online and said, listen, my daughter is a teen. She's a minor. Stop trying to sleep with her. Go away. And this guy was so incensed. He travels all the way to Florida, shoots open the door and comes in, guns a blazing. Well, little did he know, her dad was a former cop, I think was in New Jersey, and gunned him down instead. So what you're saying about the power of social media, she was a TikTok star. That's what she was. Ava Majori, yes, yes, yes. I mean, you're absolutely right, Dale Carson and Dr. Jory Carlson. Well, the manhunt is on. Take a listen to Our Cut 21, Jim Williams, CBS 2. On the run tonight, the man now wanted for murdering a Yale student from Chicago. Police in Connecticut issued an arrest warrant for Kinwan Pan. The MIT graduate is considered armed and dangerous. Pan is wanted for the February 6th murder of Yale student Kevin Jang. Investigators say Jang's killing may have stemmed from road rage. Those who knew Jang here in the Chicago area are anxious for an arrest. It'll give some of us who you know are upset with what happened to Kevin uh, a little bit of closure. And is believed to be somewhere in the Atlanta, Georgia area. U.S. Marshals are offering up to a $10,000 reward to help catch him. That was not the motive at all. It was not road rage. Listen to our Cut 22, our friend Erica Arias at Fox 61. U.S. Marshals have now secured an international warrant for the man wanted for the death of a Yale grad student. Kevin Jang was killed two months ago back on February 6th. And now that we know, U.S. Marshals have secured an Interpol red notice for this man here, 29-year-old Ching Shuan Pan. Now, he initially was just a person of interest in the case, but he is now a suspect. And we're told he will be charged with murder once he's tracked down. It's unclear if investigators are sure he is out of the country or where he may be heading. He is from China. Pan was last seen less than a week after Zhang's death in Georgia. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Straight out to Irv Brandt, former U.S. Marshal Service International Investigations, author of Flying Solo, Top of the World on Amazon. Irv Brandt, what exactly is an international warrant and how is it different from any other arrest warrant? Well, the arrest warrant, once it's uh, adopted by the U.S. Marshal Service, would go to their representative at Interpol and they would immediately do what's called a dissemination of the warrant. It looks like a red notice. Uh, It has the Interpol logo, and they would send it out to whatever countries uh, they suspect the uh, suspect may be fleeing to. Then while this is going on, they would work through the assistant United States attorney uh, to obtain a red notice uh, to be published 
to all member countries at Interpol. Especially in this case, Irv, where he has such tight connections in China. Correct. Correct. Uh, they, it would be a high priority case. And, you know, they would send out the disseminations immediately, even before the red notice was published. Uh, so countries would have a warning that this was coming, that uh, the red notice would would follow once it was signed off uh, by the legal section of Interpol. Harvey was reportedly spotted in Atlanta, and I can't help but believe he was trying to leave the hotspot of the northeastern states of the U.S. and get to the Atlanta airport known for its international flights. That's, I mean, that would be a good assumption. Uh, also, when you got to remember, in a, in a fugitive's mind, they figure they're the center of attention of the entire world. They're paranoid. Uh, to go to an international airport like Hartsfield International that has such a law enforcement presence would take someone with a tremendous amount of nerve, you know, to, to walk in there and walk past all those police officers to go through this security checkpoint. It may have been his intention. He may have pulled into the parking lot Mm -hmm. at Hartsfield Mm -hmm. and changed his mind, you know, just, figuring I'm going to get caught if I walk into this airport. Exactly. How hard is it, Irv Brandt, to get the states, the U.S. states, to cooperate with each other when you know your murder suspect is on the run and crossing state lines? Well, that's where the U.S. Marshal Service comes in, and that's where they thrive. That's what they're best at. They have seven regional fugitive task forces that cover the United States, then they also have multiple offices in every judicial district, every one of the 94 judicial mm-hmm. districts in the United States. And their fugitive investigative network is extensive. I mean, the largest in the world, you know, made up of, you know, task force officers, uh, state, yes. local, federal, uh, tribal uh, police. I mean, everywhere. So... You know, once the marshal service gets their hands on it, the, the resources at their disposal is unparalleled. It's unmatched. And I've always said about fugitives, you don't want to get the undivided t- attention of the United States Marshal no, Service. No, you don't. No, you don't. I first learned a lot about the U.S. Marshals when my investigator in the Fulton County DA's office, uh, Robert McMichael, left our office and I loved him so much. He had an NFL ring. He was this huge guy and we went everywhere together my first year or so at the office investigating cases. He went on to become the U.S. Marshal for the Northern District of Georgia. And when I learned what he did for the U.S. Marshal Service, it's amazing the power and the reach of the U.S. Marshals. Well, this guy, this guy on the run, Pan, was no idiot. But listen to our Cut 29 NBC. After eluding capture for three months, 
Xing Xuan Pan was described by prosecutors as a danger to society and a serious flight risk. New Haven Superior Court Judge Brian Fisher agreed and sent a very strong message setting bond at $20 million. Pan is accused of murdering Yale student and U.S. Army veteran Kevin Zhang on the evening of February 6th. Police say they found Zhang face down in a New Haven street with multiple gunshot wounds to the head. Pan was identified as a person of interest and pursuit stretched from Connecticut to Alabama. Prosecutors say when Pan was arrested Friday, he was in possession of $19,000 in cash, seven cell phones, seven SIM cards, and his father's passport. While the state asked for bond to be set at $50 million, the judge set it at $20 million. Alexis Tereschuk joining me, CrimeOnline.com investigative reporter. It sounds like Scott Peterson all over again. Remember how Peterson had all that cash, fake, uh, uh, his brother's driver's license, uh, all sorts of camping gear, a ton of Viagra. I guess he's going to need that on the run. But here you've got Pam with 19 grand, seven cell phones, seven SIM cards, and his father's passport. Totally on the run. And with a passport, it means he was going to try and leave the country. No wonder his bail's at $20 million. That's exactly what the, And remember, Scott also had bleached his hair blonde as if he thought that that little surfer hairdo could stop people from recognizing him after his face was flushed all over the world for murdering his wife. But that was the thing with Han. He was hiding out. It had been months since he had shot Zhang, and he was... It appeared, you know, with his father's passport, that he was going to flee the country. Now they want a bond reduction. Uh, Pan has already been arraigned, but he will come back into court in the days to come. He will give a formal entry of a not guilty plea, and we are headed to trial. The arrest warrant reveals a lot about the evidence they've got so far against Payne. Pan, what do we know so far, Alexis? What is the evidence? So much evidence. Let's start with the scene. They have the bullets. However, they don't have the gun. But what they do have are multiple witnesses. So many people. And there is security footage that shows the initial car accident. It's no accident. I would call it a crash. He goes and gets a rental car. And we have those documents in surveillance video. That was later. Another car reported lost or stolen. He's using a a different car than his own or anything connected to him. It was no accident. The video shows, does it not, Alexis Terezchuk, he intentionally rammed Kevin from behind. Yes, it does. And then it shows Kevin getting out of the car. I'm sorry, that's not true. You cannot see Kevin get out of the car because they they move a little bit and it moves out of the scene of the, the camera lens. So, but you can see the initial crash. So then they have all of the DNA evidence there. You know what is found in the car that Pond drove away? Blood. There is blood in the middle console because he's shooting somebody, you know, three times, fired eight, eight times. He has blood on him and they find his blood or Kevin's blood inside the car. Also in the car, they find a mask. Remember, again, COVID-19. He at one point had had a mask on. The mask has Pond's DNA on it. To Dr. Michelle Dupree, former forensic pathologist, medical examiner, Dr. Dupree shot multiple times, bleeding out on the street, 500 feet, while his fiance, from his fiance waiting inside. How long did he live? Remember, he took the first shot, and then 
According to police, Pan comes up and shoots him in the face. What did he endure before death? Nancy, it's likely that he was terrified. The first shot brought him down. He knows what happened. Then he sees the shooter standing over him. He is, he's terrified. He's fearful. He's scared. It likely took him probably a minute or two until he lost consciousness and then eventually bled out. Just think of what Kevin's mother and fiance are going through. This was her only child. To think of him dying in the street, slowly losing consciousness before he shot in the face, over what? I, for one, cannot wait for the trial to commence. Nancy Gray's Crime Story signing off. Goodbye, friend. Big thank you to our partner making today's crime stories possible. It's Lisa Mattress. Lisa's Sapira Hybrid has been named Wirecutter's Best Hybrid Mattress five years running. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash Nancy for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com forward slash Nancy. Thanks, Lisa Mattress, for being our partner. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Zen Nicotine Pouches deliver nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. Which means Zen pairs well with you, your personality, your schedule, and your spontaneity. Zen fits easily into your bag, pocket, and into your life. Because it's smoke-free, hands-free, and hassle-free. So the only person who will know you have a Zen pouch in is you. Visit Zen.com or head to your local convenience store today to find your Zen. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's program possible. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. Amazing. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, your exercise, and medication decisions. All those decisions can lead to big results like more time in range and a lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. Thanks, Dexcom, for being our partner.